0: That's right. Uh, take a spaceship and strip it down to the, the hell parts within 27 milliseconds. That's right, and you couldn't he- tell what oh, he oh, oh, was doing oh, either. Oh, it was either there or it wasn't there. And that's something I just don't understand. How can it either be there or it's it's not, shot- not Why isn't there any... Well, that's what we call escaping from those newtonian Tony Is yes, that what you're... You're applying... You can escape velocity, but not the is in your subconscious Bob? That's
1: What's your, your key, key? phrase. that will trigger the entire message without being
2: Welcome to episode 16 of Right Where You're Sitting Now. I'm afraid I'm on my own again, guys, and I won't keep you guys on because I know when I'm on my own, I tend to go on a bit, and it's probably really boring. I just want to thank some people this week that have been doing some great stuff for our site. Obviously, there's Claire who's been doing the Weird Weekly News audio and written version. We've also had Taylor Elwood on the show who's done a great article called Taking the Path of Least Resistance in Magic. Uh, Check that out. It's a really good article. Uh, Scott Corelli from Geekshow.us. We'll be playing some promos of his throughout the show. He's done us a great kind of article about countercultural comics, and we're doing. He's uh, chosen The Preacher, which was uh, really, really decent of him. And uh, really big thanks as well to Adrian Dobby, who's been writing some uh, some really good stuff for us. Uh, he's done a review of Chemical Wedding, the new film about kind of a future Alistair Crowley, I suppose. <laughs> um, he's also uh, interviewed Julian Doyle, who's the uh, the actual director of that film, and. Uh, name for um for uh some work he's done with monty python and yeah so uh, this week we're gonna have a few changes there's been a first thing i wanted to talk about really was there's been a you'll probably notice there's been a kind of a big gap between um episodes over the last couple of months that's because we're really trying to sort things out in terms of uh, the show we're actually restructuring it slightly we're gonna have um, claire doing a weird, weird weekly news starting this week finally after all these months we finally got her on um, we're also doing some other stuff, uh, which I'm going to keep secret. for now, we're going to have a new theme tune, all sorts of kind of cool stuff and uh, some new f- sort of features within the show rather than just on the site. So uh, oh, and which reminds me uh, hopefully we're going to have uh, Mort from uh, MediaUnderground.net Media which is an amazing site. I'm really, really excited to be working with him, actually, Um, and he's going to be doing something for us in the near future. Um, And yeah, thanks to him as well for putting a massive link up to us on his site, which is really, really unexpected. Um, We've also got Raymond Wiley coming on the show in a bit, just to give us a bit of an announcement. Um, Raymond, as you know, has been on the show quite a few times, and he's a a good guy. We like him. (laughs) We've also got uh, an interview this week with uh, probably someone you wouldn't expect us to interview and um, (laughs) normally we have people on that are involved with kind of counterculture in some way or researched it in some way Uh, this week we've got someone that tends to disagree with it (laughs) so we thought for the uh, to try and keep the the show how would I put it kind of balanced We've decided to get James Randi on. Um, And I'm actually a really big fan of James Randi and uh, the work he does. And I like the the podcast that's on his site. uh, I think it's called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Really, really good show. And, uh, yeah, so we thought we'd uh, interview James to kind of get a a kind of broader look at all these things. And, uh, yeah, but let's roll to a break. So uh, Scott, I've uh, I've kind of decided to become a superhero now.
3: A superhero.
2: Yeah,
4: like you know, like a full I'm um, like saving people, burning buildings, pretty ladies stuff. You know, all that stuff, all that good stuff.
3: Really? Well, what's your superhero name?
4: Um,
0: Awesome Man.
3: Wow. Uh, don't quit your day job. Hey, this is Scott. And this is Ben, and we're your hosts for Two Geeks, a Mike, and a Podcast. The show where we discuss all the latest news and rumors in the entertainment industry, all from a geek's perspective.
2: The only perspective
4: that matters. Join us on the web at geekshow.us. Where we become our friends at MySpace at
2: myspace.com slash Geeks.
4: Two Geeks, a Mike, and a Podcast.
2: We're here to save your day.
5: Claire from sittingnow.co.uk with the first audio version of the weekly weird news and it's on time this week so this is my first time on the show um I guess live talk- this is not live but um we talking because we've had some problems with either the microphone or technical difficulties with Ken I'm trying to get the podcast figured out but um finally up so here we go First up, the Montauk monster that supposedly washed up in the Hamptons this summer might only be one in what could be a longer line of bizarre, unidentified creatures washing up on shores all over the world. Two years ago, another sea monster washed up in Russia that soldiers discovered and was reported on EnglishRussia.com. The poster notes that from its bone structure and the skin, the strange reptilian monster is confirmed neither fish nor crocodile. Supposedly, it is quote, has been said that it was taken by Russian special services for in-depth studies. And more recently, in New London, a so-called clapsaddle carcass has been discovered, and I say had because the carcass is supposedly nowhere to be found anymore since Monday. A seven-year-old boy in Australia went on a reptile killing spree at a zoo this past Wednesday, slaughtering 13 animals in total. He was caught on cameras throwing rare reptiles into the crocodile enclosure over a security fence. Zoo officials are currently looking into suing the boy's parents since he's way too young to be charged. The oldest known footprint may have been found. The tracks, if legitimate, belong to an animal that lived 570 million years ago. The discoverer says that he expects and welcomes skepticism, but if the find is real then it would apparently push the advent of walking back about 30 million years earlier than any previous solid finding. According to a new report by the National Cancer Research Institute, patients who are suffering from quote, unfashionable cancers, are being neglected by scientists who favor pouring research money for cancers with higher survival rates. The two which receive the most are breast cancer and leukemia, while pancreatic and lung cancer receive much less. Some experts are enraged with this finding as approximately 80% of lung cancer victims die within the first year, mainly because people are diagnosed much too late. After all the hype surrounding the Large Hadron Collider, some of you might be interested in knowing what would happen to your head if you were to stick it in a particle accelerator. In fact, someone has done that before and you can read all the details about it in the article linked in the Yahoo! Read News page. A girl in India named Twinkle who spontaneously bleeds through her pores might soon have hope for being cured. At its worst, she wakes up covered in blood. But recently, a British specialist says that she should see a coagulation doctor for treatment since he thinks that she has a curable clotting disorder. I am very happy to announce that according to the Omaha World Herald, more men are taking their wives' last names. While these men claim to have experienced discouragement from others, they say that it's just because humans hold fast to traditions. And finally, 5,000 condoms, a motor used to inflate a large display condom, and some sound equipment were stolen last Wednesday in Mexico City from a so-called condomobile, being used to help promote HIV-AIDS awareness. When the truck was recovered, they said that the thieves left a large inflatable condom unharmed.
2: Okay, thanks Claire for doing the uh, Weird Weekly News for us for the first time ever. Um, it's you know, great, we've been talking about having her on for months and months and it's great to finally have Claire on and doing stuff with us and hopefully we can have her on the show soon as well. Uh, joining me right now is a infamous returning guest, uh, Mr. George
3: Raymond Wiley. Hello, sir. Oh man, don't, don't let him in on the fact that my first name is George, I mean, especially <laughs> since my last name starts with a W, come on. Um... <sighs> You must be but, you know, we, it coming. won't be that way much longer. It won't be that much of a stigma. No. <laughs> Hopefully not for at least three more weeks. Three more weeks over here. Yeah. I, we are biting our nails here in America. I can't even tell you, my friend. Yeah. Uh, it's, I wish it was over. I just wish it would just go ahead and be over. <laughs>
2: I was listening to, uh, Al, you know, Adam Curry. Have you heard of him before? Yes. Yeah, I was listening to his show for the first time today. And, he, oh, God, he's really got the Alex Jones bug now, hasn't he?
3: Uh, Well, you know, that happens to people, especially, you know, in in election years, you know, uh, when there's all this sort of bombastic speeches and campaigning and everyone's sort of uh, forced to make their choice about what you believe and and who you're going to stand behind and all this stuff. And I'm just, I just wish it was over, (laughs) like I said before. (laughs) I mean, I have my opinion just like everybody else, but um, I don't know the law longer this goes on and the longer we have to wait for the uh, elections over here the like the more chances there are for something odd or strange to happen which is not what i want right now.
2: no so, no well no. um we've got you on for a reason on this little clip between the interview and uh i think you've got an announcement for us haven't you
3: Oh, yeah, well, you know, we've been talking about um, the uh, upcoming DisinfoCasts, how me and uh, my co-host from Out There Radio, Joe McFall, are going to be doing a new podcast with the Disinformation Company, and this is uh, sort of an official announcement about this. The two series are going to be called Disinformation, the Podcast, and Disinformation World News. Um, The first is going to feature interviews with authors and filmmakers, uh, with with me and Joe, and uh, the other is going to be sort of a weird version of like BBC World News or something like that <laughs> and um, it's going to feature me and Joe and Austin from the Invisible College. You're, if you're not familiar with now, you'll be familiar with him on the next episode of Right Where You're Sitting Now. Yep. Uh, and then also Ken and Claire are going to be uh, stepping in starting in November and contributing um, news stories in each of our news episodes. So we're really looking forward to looking working with you guys a little bit closer at right where you're sitting now, Ken. And yeah, it's pretty good. So a real, real pleasure for me to welcome you to the team. Yeah. As
2: so <clears throat> One other thing we've been talking about, Dean, is uh, we were kind of concerned that all these different shows existed that we already liked. And uh, there was no real kind of, you know, home for all of them at the same time. So, uh, one thing we've been talking about, Dean, is this thing called the Fringe Feed. Would you like to talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, The French, the idea of the Fringe feed is it's going to be a website that's going to serve as a hub for uh, Fringe counterculture, conspiracy, and occult podcasts. So um, the idea is you're going to have one RSS feed that's just a running list of new episodes of maybe a dozen different casts. Hmm. So you can just subscribe if you wish. You can subscribe to it and get. Content throughout your week. For example, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts in their cars or while they're at work. And this would be a good way to um, always ensure that you've got new content coming in off of one source. It's also going to feature flash videos, a la YouTube and uh, video Google of you know your favorite conspiracy and occult documentaries and you know stuff that's people are already looking at and checking out online and there's already uh, audience for, but it's not all in one place. It's not easy to find and we really want to bring a lot of this media together yeah on one site and we're gonna
2: have some uh, uh yeah. classic classic uh, feeds in there
3: as well aren't we uh well that's the idea is part of the project that i've been working on is to try to um basically archive classic conspiracy theory radio in the form of podcasts so um sort of a new generation of listeners can get access to classic shows and, you know, if you ever listened to Out There, you know, we talked about people like William Cooper and Gary Webb and a lot of other people who, um, you know, if, if it weren't for things like Video Google, would we wouldn't even know who they are at this point. Yeah. You know? um, and so, yeah, we're going to try to tar- target... Um, older conspiracy radio shows from the 60s 70s 80s and 90s and see if we can't take the best of these and turn them into podcast feeds and the first one we're going to be uh doing is the best of Mae brussel so if you're familiar with um, the kennedy assassination conspiracy lore and all of that she was a big figure as far as that um, subculture went in the 1970s in new york and her radio show um was a great example of sort of sort of where conspiracy subculture was at the time and just a great overview of the culture i mean it's it's new york in the 1970s so you've got um a lot happening yeah. it's a great setting I and think. she was
2: so, uh, massively against robert anton wilson she thought he was a conspiracy theorist so that'd be interesting as well
3: Oh, yeah. Her, her Now, I'm not saying that uh, you're going to necessarily agree with everything she says, but it's going to be a great snapshot of what, of where the this culture came from yeah, that me... we're dabbling into each time we make one of these podcasts and each time you listen to one of these podcasts. So um, I'm looking forward to it. Kim, how, how long do you think it's going to get take to get this thing up? you think sometime in November maybe we'll have this
2: going? Yeah, I'd say late November early December, and we'll have, yeah, the first uh... – first load up i'm really looking forward to basically having this kind of weird radio show almost now because you know it's going to be like something every day you know just a nice stream of content i reckon it's going to be really you know exciting i'm looking forward to getting this thing up
3: right yeah and if you want to make a suggestion on uh, a show you know to to throw into the fringe feed we're not necessarily going to follow your suggestion but you can send me an email at out radio at gmail.com and say hey this is a great occult or conspiracy show it needs to be on your upcoming aggregator site or whatever we're going to call it we're the aggregators <laughs> the that. aggregator
2: yeah no that'd be cool
3: <laughs>
2: well thanks a lot for i me- told you i was
3: in a silly mood today yeah, so.
2: yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot for coming on to uh, announce that it was uh, it's always good to have you on and uh, yeah
3: I, I wish I wish I was coming on to say that I had won a million dollars from your guest today but un- yeah. unfortunately I can't manifest that well yet no so, so we've got uh
2: coming up after this like I said earlier in the show we've got uh, the amazing Randy or James Randy and uh, following that we're gonna have the music normally we used to play our music in the middle and now we're playing it at the end and uh, there's a reason for that um, but yeah it's got, the song is gonna be called Hello Severa and it's uh, by a band called Kyle who I love I think they're amazing So, uh, yeah, you can check the music out at the end of the interview now. So don't think we've dropped the music segment. And then, uh, yeah, so let's go into the interview now. And thanks again, Raymond.
3: Thanks a lot, Ken.
2: James Randi, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We really appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time. Uh, You've had so many hats, I guess, in your career. Could you give us a kind of brief biography of what you've achieved in your life? Well, I
6: started out as a professional magician at a very early age, and I toured the world several times in that capacity. Then by the time I reached uh, 60 At the age of 60 I decided that um, it was about time to retire from uh, struggling out of straitjackets and various other things like that (laughs) and uh, it was time to settle down a bit and do what I'd what I'd always wanted to do which is to investigate the so-called paranormal occult and supernatural and uh, I believe that I had and I still believe that I have an expertise in that field because as a professional magician, I know two things with a fair amount of certainty. A, how people are deceived, and B, and that's more important, um, how they deceive themselves. Because people tend to deceive themselves rather readily. If, uh, if the goal seems worthwhile, they will ignore uh, evidence around them, and they won't solve the, the puzzles that are presented to them. So I figured that uh, it was time to get into the profession that way
2: all right so what, what um going back to you uh, being a stage magician what actually kind of inspired you to uh to take up that as a career well i was uh,
6: my the story of my early life is, uh, is rather bizarre in some ways uh, i was a child prodigy and i didn't go to school very much uh, <clears throat> i wasn't home tutored i was self-tutored and um I I was, uh, not dismissed, I was allowed to be uh, absent from uh, the school system in Canada where I was born and raised and uh, as such I had free reign to wander where I wanted to and uh, hang out around the Toronto Public Library and the Royal Terry Museum and a few other interesting places and uh, got my basic education that way, though I was far ahead of any other kids of my same age simply because I was... uh, self-tutoring, and um, in, in that whole uh, uh, journey that I was uh, conducting there, I, I was able to um, actually attend some theatrical performances. Uh, I went to a Wednesday afternoon matinee at the local uh, Variety Theater, and it happened to be Harry Blackstone Sr., the uh, my, my personal god in magic at that time. And uh, I saw him do his act, and I went backstage afterwards introduced myself. He saw that I was sufficiently interested, so I got uh, interested in doing Conjuring, and he put me in touch with a local magic shop and with the um, the, the Conjuring Club that was uh, in Toronto at that time, the Hatton Rabbit Club. Um, I joined as a junior member, and uh, the rest is history pretty well.
2: Yeah. I think uh, one of the, from what I've read, one of the uh, earliest... Uh magician tricks, I guess you saw, was actually in church, it was the one ahead trick, or oh, the billet, billet reading, was, is that correct?
6: Yes, that's uh, the one ahead uh, method. Uh, it's a uh, standard method that is used in uh, spiritualist churches, and um, they, by this means they give people the impression that they're able to discern the contents of a sealed envelope and uh, reveal those contents and uh, answer pertinent questions from the spirits.
2: Hmm. So was, would it be fair to say that um, your interest in science also um, led you to uh, become involved with a, uh, someone called Carl Sagan? Well, eventually,
6: I, uh, I got to meet many more scientists before I got to meet Carl Sagan. Um, but that <clears throat> I'd, I'd had have a hard time uh, identifying what year I first met Carl. It seems I know I'd known him forever, but um, that uh, that was a, an early well, relatively early contact of mine, and uh, we, we spent some time together and uh, exchanged a lot of good ideas, I think, uh, so that, that I, I've been very fortunate in my life, I must say, I have met people like uh, Martin Gardner, formerly the Scientific American magazine, with whom I just spoke this morning, uh, he's 94 years of age and still going strong, <laughs> but good. that that was an early uh, contact as well that I much appreciated, but I've met uh, Nobel laureates and uh, uh, ranking um, people in science uh, and in philosophy uh, all over the world. Uh, very, very fortunate in that respect.
2: Yeah, and I believe that uh, you've had an asteroid named after you. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's, uh,
6: that's a quite a, an honor, to say the least. I uh, <laughs> I remember that I, uh, a few years back I uh, emailed um, Sir Arthur uh, C. Clarke, in Sri Lanka and I said, guess what Arthur, I have just had an asteroid named after me and uh, I'm finding that very exciting and he wrote me back and said yes I had one named after me eight years ago, well that sort of missed me in a way, (laughs) he was trying to one-up me and so I looked at the International Astronomical Union, I looked up the parameters of the asteroids involved, the asteroid Clark and asteroid Randy and I had the great delight of uh, sending him an email I don't remember the exact figures now, but um, I'm sure I could find it someplace here in the computer. I said, uh, I discovered from the International Astronomical Union that my asteroid is 2.2 kilometers on the side. Yours is about one kilometer on the side. <laughs> my asteroid is bigger than your asteroid. <laughs> and um, he didn't respond for some time. Perhaps I, I put his nose out of joint. But uh, nonetheless, we uh, did resume correspondence. And uh, as you know, I'm sure Arthur has now left us and uh, mm. that's another large space in my life, a lacuna, that uh, that I regret very much.
2: Yeah, that's a shame. Um, one thing you're quite famous for and um, is you set a challenge to pe- to uh, people to prove examples of paranormal activity, I guess. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the $1 million challenge?
6: Well, it starts with the formation of the James Randi Educational Foundation, which is more than 10 years ago now.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: And um, I uh, was lucky enough to have a very influential and wealthy gentleman uh, give us a million dollars as a potential prize. Up until then, I had been offering $10,000 of my own personal money to any psychic or uh, claimed psychic or paranormalist of any kind or healer or whatever. Uh, who thought that they could display some sort of paranormal or alcohol or supernatural power. And uh, that didn't get a great deal of attention, it was only $10,000 after all, and most of these people make much more than that in a week, so they weren't paying any attention. But uh, when it got to be a million dollars, when uh, my benefactor uh, laid this money into the foundation, actually not into my pocket because uh, I, uh, I can control the money, uh, through the foundation, but uh, it's not my money to spend, certainly.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, and when, when that became a little more evident, then it, it caused a certain amount of excitement, but that died away pretty soon because quiz programs and, uh, and panel shows of various kinds over in this country uh, very frequently offer million-dollar prizes, so it's gotten to be a rather old hat, and uh, I'm just not about to increase it uh, to any more than that. If people aren't interested in having a million dollars, then uh, I think they're not interested uh, in much in life. Uh, they Now, I don't want to make it look like a, like a crass offer of cash for results, but it is a carrot that I dangle in front of these people. If they say they can do these things, and in many cases they make money doing them, inside of 30 minutes they could make $1 million um, by answering our challenge. But the professionals never come anywhere near us. They refuse to respond to, to mail and to inquiries and phone calls and such. They just don't do it. They seem to be deadly afraid of us, and I think the reason for that is because they know that they can't do what they say they can do. Hmm. So that's the history of the Million
2: Dollar Challenge. Yes, it's a, it's a great way of kind of illuminating these, these quackery kind of uh, professions, I guess. <laughs> for for yes, but it,
6: but it doesn't uh, doesn't result in doing that because these people carry on anyway. They, yeah. they just ignore it and uh, they, they carry on. They, they know they can't meet the challenge and therefore they just uh, decide not to do
2: it and to ignore it. Why do you think that these kinds of uh, beliefs are dangerous?
6: Well, any lies or misinformation can be dangerous. Mm. It depends whether you depend on a on the truth of the lies or the truth of the information. If you depend on that, then then you can can, uh, just waste uh, the rest of your life by pursuing uh, things that don't exist. And I think that that is always uh, harmful to people and very negative and uh, and damaging. Um, I think that uh, lies and deception, now deception is part of the magician's uh, bag of tricks, of course, but the magician does it very honestly says right up front, I'm a magician, I'm going to fool you. Or a conjurer is a term that I prefer, but it's not used widely in America. Um, if, if you admit that you're a conjurer and that you're going to use said deception techniques and show business and psychological and physical tricks and whatnot to fool people, then they accept that as entertainment. But um, the so-called psychics and such are not doing that at all. They are taking advantage of people's um, naivete and they're taking their money and I,
2: I I believe that that is being taken dishonestly as well do you think that uh, governments should perhaps um, impose more I guess policies and regulations uh, to kind of stop this kind of thing and I mean do they or well they can they can uh, most governments are armed with uh,
6: laws that uh, prevent people advertising falsely advertising their goods and services falsely uh, goods or services they can't Produce, and those laws are in place in most governments, I'm sure, I know they are in the United States, certainly, mm-hmm. but uh, you have to get uh, uh, prominent people in, um, in, uh, in politics to uh, take up the cause, because the, the general attitude seems to be when you complain to these agencies, they say, oh, these are stupid people, we are not concerned with stupid people, Well, they should be concerned with everyone. Uh, they're not necessarily stupid people, they're naive, they're uninformed. Um, They're ignorant, yes, but I I don't mean that in a negative uh, way. If people don't know about how trickery can be done, then they can be fooled by it and they can uh, uh, predicate their futures on it, uh, in in some cases, as many of them do. So I I think that uh, government agencies should be stepping in. But here in the United States, I can tell you it's very difficult to get them to do that uh, because they just wanted to... uh, have everything smooth and quiet, and they're all looking to uh, retain their jobs in politics, and they don't want to stir anything up or offend anybody. And, of course, this political correctness thing uh, that we have going, uh, certainly in the United States and I think around uh, much of the rest of the world, too, uh, is, is, I think, very harmful. I'm not politically correct at all. When I see a fraud, I call it a fraud, and there's no question of it. And, uh, of course, I have to be able to prove that, and I'm equipped to do that.
2: Mm. What I want to ask you to do for us now, if that's okay, is to provide your top five quackery related professions that have uh, managed to uh, linger um, even after you've kind of exposed them in many ways. This is the kind of generic uh, question I get, along with uh, what's your favourite colour and uh, (laughs) who's your favourite movie
6: actor and a few things like that. There aren't any top five. Uh, These these things are all very harmful. But I will give you, um, as a substitute uh, for an answer to that question, I will give you Um, this information that, first of all, by far the most uh, prominent uh, claim that is made against the the million dollar prize is that of dousing or divining Mm. people with forked sticks, pendulums, uh, wires and chains and various other mechanical devices and some just with the palm of their hand who say that they can feel vibrations of various kinds And I use the word vibrations in quotation marks because these people don't know what a vibration is. If you gave them a a bushel basket full of vibrations, they they wouldn't know what they look like and wouldn't know what to do with them. But um, it's very strange uh, to me that this dowsing thing is is so very prevalent with people. That's the majority, that's a good 90% of the claims that we get, believe it or not. Uh, almost all of the rest of them are for healing or diagnosing uh, medical conditions hmm. and uh, then there are, there are, are sorted other uh, kinds of uh, ESP claims and whatnot. Um, but the professionals never uh, come for the prize. Uh, they, they know that they, as I said previously, they know they can't uh, beat the challenge because it's a legitimate challenge and uh, they would have to do what they say they can do legitimately. But the vast majority of people who apply for, apply for the prize are not professionals, not by any means. They are amateurs who honestly believe they have the powers and that uh, covers the field of dowsing or divining very, very adequately because it's due to a thing called the motor response. And if people go to my webpage, www.randy.org, and uh, look up <coughs> dowsing or divining, uh, or the idiomotor response, we will see a complete explanation there of what it is. It's a psychological uh, trick that the brain plays on the owner of that brain.
2: One that's uh, always, I guess, uh, irritated me to a degree, <laughs> um, I don't know if it's the same with you, is homeopathy. Um, I'm, is this something you've looked into in the past? or? Uh... Oh, yes. And homeopathy, now you see, is a medical claim. And uh, we I don't investigate
6: medical claims of, of quackery in general except if if they were true, uh, that that would make it paranormal. Uh, a paranormal event is something which is not explainable by scientific uh, or logical or rational means, but still does take place. So if it, uh, and homeopathy in that case certainly would be supernatural mm. because it, it uses zero doses uh, of uh, potent medicines, medications and substances, uh, and it says that the vibrations of the medicine remain behind after it's been diluted, really, literally, out of existence. Mm. So uh, that that would be magical, that would be supernatural, and so it it uh, falls under our uh, billion-dollar challenge.
2: And uh, have you, if uh, there been any cases of uh, people attempting to take the challenge using nope, the homeopathy? Not one,
6: not one homeopath, not one homeopathic group has ever tried. Now, mind you, the BBC and the Royal Academy. Um, they um, they launched a, uh, an investigation of homeopathy with a definitive uh, large-scale test of whether or not homeopathy actually works, and they used beating homeopaths in that uh, investigation. And uh, I agreed uh, when they called me on it and they asked my advice. I gave them uh, my advice on how it uh, might be conducted, and they followed that uh, very well. And as a matter of fact, we used uh, a protocol based upon Jacques Benveniste's um, famous tests with uh, Nature magazine. And um, the the upshot of the whole thing was that uh, I I agreed to forego the preliminary test uh, that we uh, insist on for the million dollar prize. And I said I'd go directly to awarding the prize uh, if the Royal Academy um, had control of the experiment. And um, as I say, a large scale uh, experiment and uh, if they announced uh, the results uh, I would be happy to sit in front of a camera while they announced the results and I did exactly that it was exactly what we expected it was perfectly average uh, random results there were there were no uh, significant uh, results whatsoever and they had a leading statistician uh, there in the UK um, handled the, the whole thing and as I say the Royal Academy is i'm sure can be trusted i trusted the million dollar prize to them and uh, they came through beautifully they they did a very definitive test and of course the homeopaths said as always uh, they immediately started to scream that uh, they didn't use the right homeopaths Mm -hmm. and of course uh, they had approved of these homeopaths and they had given their credentials and whatnot they had approved them in advance but then, as soon as the test uh, turned out negatively, they said, "No, no, no, that's not the way to test homeopathy. It's exactly the way to test homeopathy. It's definitive. It's double-blind. It's properly done. It's scientifically sound." And they know that, but they have to deny it because they want their mythology to continue.
2: Yeah, yeah, they want to the, and keep making money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, have UFOs ever come into your uh, into your challenge at any point?
6: Oh yes, very. Um, very peripherally, just a few people have, uh, well, many people just send me photographs that they say are of UFOs, and it might very well be of UFOs, meaning unidentified flying objects, or unidentified uh, camera artifacts, that's usually what they are, they are cam- camera artifacts, particularly in the days of digital photography that are with us at the moment, digital photography is subject to all kinds of artifacts that most people don't understand, particularly if they've been involved in regular film photography. Uh, that The artifacts are totally different and uh, not as easily explainable, but they are explainable and uh, the, the UFO uh, advocates out there will accept almost anything that comes along, they see a smear on photograph, a photograph, a little interference of some kind, an insect flies into the, 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 the range of the camera and it's out of focus and they call it an orb and they say oh that's supernatural right away or it's a ufo or whatever so we get these things all the time and as the uh the tech, that is uh, the technology itself um, not only improves but uh changes in nature uh, it changes the nature of the claims as well
2: yeah i guess um that's sort of another case of what you were talking about earlier where people themselves uh believe so much that you know they actually convince themselves and i think the ufo community is a great example of that i mean you do see some I mean, like you said, some incredibly, you know, just things that you just—if any normal person looked at these photographs, they'd just think, "Oh, it's a blur on the photograph." But this is like hard, rock-solid evidence for some of these guys, isn't it?
6: Yeah, what they say is that if it can't be explained, uh, then it's uh, it's a UFO or a supernatural or, or or paranormal or whatever. If it can't be explained, but there are lots of artifacts that can't be specifically explained because there are so many possibilities. For those artifacts occurring, mm. and uh, that, that the fact that something isn't explained doesn't make it paranormal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I suppose one way of, uh, I guess, getting round the uh, top five question. and I, I think I put that a bit badly. Um, is maybe looking at some of your more famous cases of uh, of uh, quack exposure, um, and uh, I think the one I found the most impressive uh, from the the videos I've seen over the years was uh, Peter Popoff. I think that's his name, the faith healer. I was wondering if if you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about um, what happened with that particular case.
6: Well, um, Johnny Carson, who is a very, very prominent late-night television host here in the United States and perhaps the most famous of all of them ever, um, I did many many of his programs over the years. Um, We counted 22, but I think there were probably a few more than that. And... um, I was in touch with him regularly and uh, I came up with this information about Peter Popov, the faith Theater, that he was using a shortwave transmitter, very tiny machine tailed on his body, uh, to, to receive messages from his wife who had done a, a previous tour of the audience and gotten personal information from the people who were there supposedly to be healed, or to be supposedly healed would be a better way to put that. Yeah. and. Um, I went to uh, the Carson production staff with this and they said oh yes this is wonderful we'll use it and we put it on the air and it, it, Peter Popoff went back bankrupt overnight, literally, uh, he just ceased operation, he changed the name of his operation uh, from Peter Popoff Ministries to uh, People United for Christ and uh, he changed the stationery, the whole thing. And uh, it was quite a blow to him, obviously, because it exposed exactly what the electronic gimmick was that he was using to uh, perpetuate his fraud. But um, uh, Johnny Carson died some years ago now, and uh, I'm almost uh, happy that he didn't live to see what happened with Peter Popov, because Peter Popov, according to his 2007 uh, tax returns, brought in $1 million more than the money that he brought in the year that we exposed him on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, so these are unsinkable rubber ducks. There's nothing that will stop them. And there's not, there nothing that will stop the true believer from continuing to send them money.
2: I know that here in the UK, we don't have a, a great infestation, I guess, of faith, of faith healers. Um, but it's quite a problem in the States, I believe. It
6: is. Well, it is in most, most parts of the world, as a matter of fact. And uh, I think if you look around uh, hard enough that you will find that they're active uh, in the UK as well. They just aren't as prominent because they
2: uh, don't seem to have uh, the ease of getting on television that we have here mm. uh, in the United States. All right. Well, the uh, next, uh, uh, I guess this is more of a group uh, of people, um, was James Heydrich and Yuri Geller. Um, these were two uh, alleged psychics. Um, Yeah, obviously Geller being the probably the more famous of the two. Could you tell us about those two cases as well? I mean, these two are particularly uh, interesting.
6: Well, James and Heydrich, it's a rather sad story, really, because he um, he was uh, he had had served some time in prison and apparently while in prison, he learned how to do a couple of uh, of rather cunning tricks uh, to move small objects at a distance, for example. And uh, people in prison often do learn these things from uh, uh, other people who are there and uh, who know how these things are done. Hyde learned how to do that. And when he came out of prison, he um, he tried to take out a, a number of wealthy widows for a lot of money mm. uh, to open up an, an ashram here in the United States. And he went on a couple of television programs, very naive programs that accepted that what he did was being done by supernatural powers. Well I appeared on a program with him in which um, I showed exactly how the trick was being done and uh, I offered him, at that time it was a $10,000 prize, not a $1,000,000 prize. I offered him the $10,000 prize if he could move the object under the conditions that I placed on him. It was very simple, I simply put styrofoam uh, pellets around uh, the book and the page he was, uh, in, adjacent to the page that he was trying to turn with his mind, apparently, he was turning it by blowing at it. He was very, very clever at it. He could uh, control his breath very nicely mm. and he was very skilled at it. But of course, if he tried to do that, the styrofoam pellets would scatter in all directions. So um, Heydrich was more or less put out of business at that point. But then, um, then he got arrested on charges of smuggling uh, arms and whatnot and some other uh, nefarious uh, activities. Um, turned out that he had been um, an adopted child and very, very badly treated by his foster parents. He was full of scars from tortures that they had given him. And I felt very sorry when I heard this because uh, he he was rebelling against the world. Uh, he was a, a guy who didn't have any chance to, to do anything unless he did it by some sort of trickery. And he wasn't robbing banks, but he was trying to rob people of their of their money and uh, get funded by these people by doing a fraud, uh, so that 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 was almost an understandable uh, uh, failing of his character, and uh, I feel very sorry. He's back in prison, from what my understanding is now, oh, for various other things. Yeah, but Uri uh, uh, Geller is a different thing altogether. Geller um, came along at, at just the time when the world was sort of looking for a new psychic. There weren't any psychics around, and uh, I was called by Time Magazine here in the United States, and they said that they were having Geller in uh, for an interview, and uh, they said that his manager had insisted there be no magicians present. So Time Magazine figured that maybe they better have a magician present, because uh, that's probably where the uh, Achilles heel was here of this whole act. And uh, they called me in. And indeed, I, I caught Geller doing what he was doing, but I didn't make that evident. I just pointed it out to the other people in the room surreptitiously, and they saw what was happening. And uh, when Geller left, he was um, completely devalued, and the article that appeared in Time magazine uh, specified the whole thing and said that I had been present and that um, I had solved the, the mystery. There was no great mystery there, really. Yeah. And And I thought, well, that's should be the end of Mr. Geller, but uh, I was never more wrong in one of my estimations, (laughs) because he's still going strong, believe it or not, though he's been exposed uh, on television and in person so many times in every country of the world, it's astonishing how much he has been exposed uh, on his own program in Israel, as a matter of fact, they caught him doing sleight of hand, Uh, and yet he's still there. This to me is absolutely astonishing that a fellow can continue in business after being so widely exposed. He's probably the most uh, widely exposed uh, psychic of all time.
2: Right, and he's, uh, he he. I, 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 from what I've seen, he tends to have three different kind of pillars, doesn't he, to his uh, trick. There'd be the, uh, it's he bends spoons and keys, um, and also uh, pretends that he can read the minds of people and recreate a drawing, is that correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, you've, you figured out, I mean, would you be able to share with us now that you figured out how he um, actually did each one of these tricks, didn't you?
6: Oh, yeah, no, They're not difficult tricks. They've been in the magician's repertoire for a long time. Uh, but uh, remember one thing here, that if any of the magicians or the conjurers were doing it by real means, if they weren't using trickery, that would be a Nobel Prize right there. I mean, and it would be much more than that. It would be a fortune. It would be a, a worldwide re- recognition, etc. And... And scientists are always, uh, you know, they've got that, that carrot called the Nobel Prize in view all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. And
6: uh, if they see an opportunity someplace there but they think, wow, that might be lead to a Nobel Prize, they will become total fools. They will just uh, abandon all um, rationality and they will accept what they see because they not only need it to be true, but they want it to be true. And they, uh, they, they hope there's an Nobel Prize up ahead. Well, spoonbending has not done one thing for mankind uh, that I know of, except maybe the cutlery business has uh, <laughs> has benefited from it. I'm not sure. And I'd, uh, I'd like to do the research one of these days. Mm. So uh, spoonbending is, is a simple, simple thing. And, he, and as I say, he's been caught at it so many times uh, over the years. And for many, many years, he's been caught at it. But uh, he bounces right back. Because people want and need these things to be true. They want some fantasy in their lives. Mm. They they want something a little more exciting uh, than uh, what their parents left them with. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually that brings me to a little question I was going to ask you before I go on to the last person I wanted to talk to you about. Um, would you like to be uh, the challenge to be met? <laughs> No,
6: I have no, uh, I have no likes or dislikes in the matter at all, I just want to know what the truth is. Mm. And uh, if there is something out there and uh, I were to discover it, uh, maybe I'd get a Nobel Prize, I'm not sure. <laughs> but the point is, that all I want is the truth. I don't have any, um, any desire on the thing, I don't want it to be true or untrue. Uh, when a scientist goes, I'm not a scientist, mind you. It's certainly far from a scientist, but I'm rather informed in the field, and um, I can tell you that uh, that a scientist doesn't go into something saying, I'm going to prove this is true. No, he goes into the situation, ideally this is, as saying, I don't know, but I'm going to find out.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's
6: exactly what I do with the challenge. I never say there's no such thing as a paranormal power. I have never claimed that. What I have said is I don't see any any convincing evidence for a paranormal power, and I'm willing to be shown and i wave this carrot around i'm a, a million dollars worth of willing to be shown and that certainly should show that i have good intent
2: yeah all oh, right okay i, I think the, um another one will, we have an infestation again at the moment um uh, on television especially uh with the uh art of mediumship i say the art the minute we started doing this show we started to get uh people you know contacting us a lot the one we get the most requests for is uh, to have guests on uh, that are allegedly mediums now I think, I don't know, you, uh, you've definitely done a lot of work with mediums. And one um, particular case I found particularly interesting was Maureen Flynn. I was wondering wondering Mm -hmm. if you could uh, perhaps tell us a bit about what happened with that case. Yes,
6: I did a TV series um, for Granada TV uh, some years ago in the UK and uh, Maureen Flynn uh, showed up, a flamboyant lady, I must say. she showed up uh, as uh, one of the people that I was going to investigate. At that time, it was a $10,000 prize. This was well before the million dollar prize. Yeah. And um, the uh, she was introduced by a gentleman for whom she had given a reading. And uh, he, uh, he came up with a, a tape recording, a, an audio tape recording, a cassette. And uh, he gave it to us. And he said, Now play that, and you'll be convinced that the Marine Flynn uh, has supernatural powers and um, it it was astonishing because I I took it into my office, I had an office at Granada at the time, took it into my office and I played it and I thought to myself, where does this man get the idea that she's got any kind of powers? I hear nothing here that is supernatural whatsoever, it's the old cold reading technique. Mm -hmm. Um, So I transcribed the entire um, document, that is the the audio, Um, transcribed it accurately and um, then i formed up some questions to ask the gentleman uh, while he was on camera with marine flynn well we taped the program and marine flynn appeared in her gossamer gown and uh, this gentleman appeared and uh, i had the transcript in my hand and he said well what you've heard there is it convinces me that, that she has the, the power to do this and the other thing and he said she came up with the, the name of my mother and I didn't, um, I didn't give her the name of my mother at all, and she came up with it. And I said, "Well, that's not what I find in the transcript." And he said, "Oh no, that's that's in there. It's in there." So I, uh, I read out to him. I, I said, first of all, uh, wasn't she just guessing at different names? And he said, "No, no. The only name she mentioned was Dora, my mother's name, and uh, she couldn't have known that." And I said, "Well, uh, do you recognize any of these names?" And I read off a whole series of 17 names and he shook his head at each one said no 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 i said well they're all in the transcript and these are names that she guessed at and i said and the name dora is not here because at one point she said to you i see the spirit of a woman standing behind you and she's gray-haired and she's smiling at you is that your mother and the man answered though he couldn't see anything of course there was nothing there Mm -hmm. and he said oh yes he said that would be my mother named Dora. Now, he was the one who came up with the name Dora. And, I, and the name Dora, I think it's correct. It might have been something else, but mm. forgive me if my memory is poor on that respect. But, uh, so he had come up with the name. And at that point, he was holding the transcript in his hand and looking over the details of the transcript. He took it and he threw it on the floor and he said, I don't care what it says in there. I know what she told me. Now, that, that shows you the absolute, not reluctance, but refusal of people to confront actual evidence. He had given me the tape recording. I had transcribed it, and it was a very, very accurate transcription of it, I assure you. Mm -hmm. I have the original tape here, and I have the transcript. And they agree, and every pause and every comma is in there. And yet he denied that. He had given it to me, and yet he denied the evidence that was in it.
2: Do hmm. you think it's because he might be kind of a, a bit embarrassed because he believed in something that he's... Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Now, that happens, of course. You see, people don't want to back down on these things because
6: in doing that, they're literally saying to you, I was a fool. I fell for this. Mm-hmm. I, I know now that, it, that, that I was wrong, uh, and I, I shouldn't have done that, and, uh, and I look like a fool. No, he didn't want to look like a fool, of course, but he also, more importantly, he wanted to continue with the belief that Maureen Flynn had made contact with the spirit of his mother.
2: Yeah. yeah. I guess it, it, might, it. to some people it might be kind of, I guess, slightly comforting to think that there's a, you know, like an afterlife and that somehow these people can kind of channel into that. Oh, yes. No, no. People want that, that
6: belief very, very strongly. That's what the churches depend on. Yeah. An uh, afterlife, of course. It kind of validates the church in a way, doesn't it? Yes, it does indeed. And people want that belief. And if they can get promised that and all they have to do is put something on the collection plate on Sunday, then they'll pay for it. They'll pay for it and they will support the church in some cases uh, to the tune of uh, many millions of dollars, of course, and we know uh, benefactors or patrons of the church that have done this sort of thing over the years. And in a a way, I I suspect that they think they're buying their way into heaven, though they, they would deny that if they were asked directly.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you, when you were talking about uh, the Maureen Flynn case, you described a technique that was used. I was quite interested in uh, in hearing that. I, I can't remember actually what you called it, um, the technique, the well, medium. It's called cold reading. Okay. Could you explain what that is to us? Cold reading, well, there are two kinds of, uh, well, many kinds of reading, of course.
6: But cold reading uh, describes what happens when a so-called psychic confronts a person that they don't know, and in many cases they confront them over the telephone, so they can't see even the gender of the person necessarily. So they have to, to throw out suggestions and get answers. They'll say things like, uh, uh, now I, I, I'm finding a spirit here. Uh, I can't make out if it's a, a male or a female spirit, uh, but this spirit is very, very close to you. There, there's the initial J or B. I, I, it's hard to make out. now." Uh, you know, if a spirit came and whispered in my ear, as these people say the spirits are doing, if it was the the spirit of Bill, uh, my deceased uh, father-in-law, for example, wouldn't you think that Bill would say, my name starts with B, and my name is Bill, and I'm the father-in-law? <laughs> no, they apparently, they, they want to do a 20 questions sort of a game <laughs> with these people, of guessing back and forth. And... Uh, that, that's exactly what they're doing. They, choose, they usually choose J or M or both of them uh, because that's the most common initial that, that men have and it's very common with women too, particularly M. So they wait for the person to identify with it and they say, do you identify with this? And this is asking a question to them. So they end up asking questions rather than telling people things. Mm-hmm. They don't really tell them anything. They end up asking endless questions. And the people aren't quite aware of that but if they go back over a transcript of the thing or a tape recording they might have of it they'll find out that they were asked questions far more frequently than they were told things
1: hmm. yeah
6: and that's that's the art of cold reading now uh warm reading is a different thing altogether that's where you can actually see the person it can be a person that you've never met before but you can see the person and if you see the person wearing a crucifix if you see the person wearing uh, tattered clothes Right away, you know something about that person, so that's a warm reading, but a hot reading is the the ultimate, of course. That's where you've had a chance to have somebody, and this happens all the time on on these phone-in programs, you phone in and you leave your number there so you can get called by the so-called spiritualist or psychic, and you give a lot of information about yourself. You give your phone number and your address and your full name and initial, uh, or you expand on the initial, Now, that means that they can go onto services like Google and put your name in there and find out all sorts of things about you. And they can even go around to your home and see the state of your home and uh, perhaps visit neighbors or whatever. That's called a hot rating where they really know things about you, and uh, they're able to do it the same way a private investigator would
2: do it. Yeah. So there's cold readings, there's warm readings, and hot readings. That's actually a bit similar to the pop-off case in some ways, but I guess the pop-off one's a bit of a kind of faster hot reading. <laughs> oh, yes,
6: it's a very fast. It, it comes to a boil immediately because uh, they actually ask these people uh, for their phone numbers and their addresses and, uh, and the, the details uh, of the, the ill person that they're thinking about or the name of their doctor, and they get this information. Then pop offs uh, or a person like that Uh, is able to call that sort of thing back out to them. They're saying, I'm getting a Dr. Garfield. Uh, Who is Dr. Garfield? As if they didn't know, and the fellow will say, oh, that's my doctor. And the audience goes, whoa, he knew that, you see, or he got that word from God or the angels or whatever, and actually he got it, or somebody else got it for him in a previous interview.
2: Mm, yeah. Okay, well, we've talked about kind of uh, the more standard forms of magic. But one thing we cover quite a lot, um, or at least we interview <coughs> people quite a lot about is uh, uh, esoteric magic, um, like ceremonial occult, I guess, kind of magic. Um, have you ever come across this in terms of the uh, of the challenge? Mm,
6: yes, uh, from time to time. But people, you see, when people make that kind of claim. There's nothing really concrete in there that you can test. Yeah, that's
2: they, the problem, they, will, yeah.
6: they will always say things like, uh, often spirits will appear. I don't want to know often, I want to know how often, (laughs) Uh, you know, I want to know if it's it's worth looking into at all, and uh, in many cases they say they have no control of it. Uh, You're talking about uh, what is often called natural magic, but since there's no magic to it in the first place, I think that's a a misnomer as well.
2: Yeah, it's definitely I mean, a lot of it also, um, from what I've uh, with the research we've been doing for this show, it seems to be an internalized thing. So it must be pretty hard to actually test something that's uh, internalized. Oh, yes, indeed. But, but if people, you see, we ask them only three things, that they can, they say what they can do,
6: under what circumstances, and with what accuracy, and people seem to have the hardest time answering those three simple questions. Uh, they should know what they do, they should know, Uh, with what accuracy they can do it, and they should know the circumstances under which it will work best. And we ask them those three simple questions, and they take forever to come up with an answer, if they ever do. Most of them give up uh, after we we ask them for that that simple uh, set of questions, and um, they they can't answer them, or they've never had to think of it that way before.
2: Hmm. All right. Well, uh, I guess the the next couple of things I want to ask you about were uh, kind of more science related, I guess. But w- one guy I w- I've always wanted to know if you've ever um, encountered th- this character before is a uh, Wilhelm Reich and his orgone boxes. I was, oh, wa- yes. I was wondering mm-hmm. if uh, you've ever looked into this particular. I case. was at a museum
6: not long ago where they had an orgone box actually, and uh, no, um, Wilhelm Reich was very famous uh, in the '30s, I guess it was. So. Mm. And uh, he built and uh, sold orgone boxes. He ended up in prison, as you probably know, yeah, yeah. Uh, because he refused to stop selling these, uh, these devices, and that was dishonest. Now, he could sell them today with no trouble at all on the Internet, and he would make a fortune. He'd get rich overnight, as many people have on the Internet, selling equally silly things like the Q-Ray bracelet and various other mm. things of this nature. It took them 15 years to put that man out of the business, but he's a multi-multi millionaire, so he doesn't care. Yeah. But uh, the uh, Argon boxes thing and the Wilhelm Reich thing is very famous, of course. And uh, he said that this could concentrate some sort of universal vibrations from outside the universe or whatever. It's it's a very complicated thing. He never really stated exactly what it would do under what circumstances. And uh, but he he convinced people that they should. Uh, You should tune in on this thing and buy one of these boxes and get revved up. And uh, a lot of people did. And he shipped them from all over the the country.
2: Yeah. It must become a problem when uh, these people get almost scientific backing (laughs) into their kind of press releases, I guess, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, no. They
6: they use the word vibrations, as we discussed earlier. Mm. The word vibrations all the time. They don't know what a vibration is, but they use it. And they use the word quantum quite frequently. Yeah. In fact, many of the devices are called... uh, quantum something, really I just mentioned the quanta bracelet uh, that is uh, selling for a, a fantastic price still here in the United States. Um, and uh, golfers wear it and such and maybe it's a decorative piece of, of jewelry. I don't know. I, it doesn't turn me on, I can assure you. <laughs> but they say it has vibrations and electrons and it, they use these terms uh, very freely and the uninformed folks out there who are scientifically illiterate in many cases or scientifically naive uh think oh it says quantum so it must be the real thing
2: yeah yeah i guess it's an impressive word <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah this is the, i mean obviously the most recent thing um is to the, the large hadron collider uh the lhc and oh, yeah. the, um this is, in a way, this is interesting because it's really highlighted this kind of uh, millennialism almost in society. I was going to ask you, kind of, uh, why are people so scared of the Large Hadron Collider? Well, because the press made them
6: afraid of it. There's nothing to be afraid of whatsoever. Mm. Uh, there's there's no danger in the thing at all. Of course, if there were a danger in the thing and that danger had happened, we would be vaporized in a fraction of a second, and uh, we wouldn't know much about it and uh, wouldn't have any time to think about it. Yeah. But The the, the press finds somebody out there who has some strange, uh, uninformed idea that maybe this is the end of the world, and they get to a reporter, and it's published, and then all of the media jump on it. The media is a horror. I pardon the language, but it's very true. And uh, we have in uh, in the business of communications and in the media business, we have people who are known as media horrors who will do anything, in order to get sponsors uh, attracted to them and to satisfy the sponsors. Now, we know of one gentleman here, Montel Williams, in the United States, who has said on uh, in an interview, he doesn't believe in psychics, he doesn't believe in Sylvia Brown, the so-called psychic, uh, yet he has her on his program every week. And they asked him why, is it because she attracts sponsors. So that's a media horror, uh, pure and simple. This is a person who uh, has no integrity whatsoever. He doesn't care whether what he's broadcasting is true but he does want to attract those sponsors. That's his bottom line, and he doesn't care beyond that. Now, that's uh, socially, uh, to me, it's socially um, uh, irresponsible, and uh, I think it's uh, amoral, at
2: least. Yeah. You think that there'd be kind of a bit more vetting, I guess, uh, for these kinds of shows, but I guess, like you said earlier, people kind of want to see it, don't they? They want to um, believe that these uh, mystical powers lie out there.
6: (laughs) That's right, and they will buy the products, and they they will
2: subscribe to the program. I mean, what, uh, in, in great numbers. What was your reaction to Oprah Winfrey with uh, her like sponsorship of The Secret?
6: Oh, well, Oprah does this with everything. Uh, Oprah is very, very naive. She fell for Geller uh, many years ago, too, uh, before she was Oprah Winfrey. Uh, when I say before she was Oprah Winfrey, she always had that name, of course, but <laughs> uh, before she was famous, she, she uh, co-hosted a program out of Baltimore, Maryland, here in the United States, a very low-key, very minor program. Uh, with an audience, however, and uh, from then on, she rose to great fame, as we all know, and great wealth as well, and great influence, but at that time, she was hardly known at all outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and um, it's a rather small market, and she uh, she entertained uh, Uri Geller, and Geller fooled her completely. Uh, with a simple spoon bending thing, and uh, as a matter of fact, the, the videotape of that is available on YouTube, someplace or other, mm. and you can see Geller bend the spoon between his hands, very simply and obviously. He didn't think he was being observed by the camera at that uh, second,
2: but you can see it very obviously. The secret seems to have become a really big phenomena in, uh, especially in the states, but even over here yes. we've uh, we've uh, kind of uh, seem to have adopted it quite a lot as well. Yeah. it's. It's basically—it's quite crazy. It's total nonsense. It's—it's yeah.
6: uh, it's juvenile in the extreme. And what she's really saying, uh, what the the author of the book is really saying, I should say, um, is that it, you're responsible for all your your ill troubles. If you have an illness, that's your fault. If you have a a, a worry about something, that's your fault. Everything is your fault. And she even uh, this is saying literally that the uh, the Holocaust was the fault of those who perished in the Holocaust. Mm. Now that that's unconscionable. Yeah. And yet Oprah Winfrey does support this kind of thing and endorse it because it makes a good book and it titillated her fancy. And she's really very uninformed about these things. Mm. And uh, yet she
2: has this huge influence. Yeah, it's worrying, isn't it? <laughs> it is indeed, very worrying. Well, um, obviously I'm gonna let you go fairly soon because we've... Uh had you for quite a while now but um could you tell us a little bit about the bit more about the james randy educational foundation like what is it what uh, obviously apart from the uh the challenge what you know what what does the actual foundation do i guess
6: <laughs> well we were set up 10 years ago to act as an exchange medium for the um, medium i mean uh, media medium yes uh not a spiritualist medium <laughs> uh, set up as an agency that would uh, Uh, share information, true actual information, truth about the so-called paranormal, occult and supernatural, uh, differing somewhat from what the the popular media puts out there, because they're very fond of uh, the woo-woo aspect, as we refer to it, uh, believe in in spite of the lack of evidence. Um, And that's what our function is, and we've got a very large library here. We get visitors regularly who come by, and these are researchers, uh, the media themselves, uh, students, and um, merely curious, and, and authors of, of various uh, kinds of articles and books, and they come by and they use our library very freely and we share our information with them. Now, not all of them agree with us, but uh, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking to uh, dispense information about, the, uh, about these things that uh, may be more dependable than that which is offered by the popular media. Hmm.
2: And you, uh, you release, a, is it a weekly or a monthly kind of newsletter on your website, don't you?
6: Yes, we do. And that's o r g. if you click in on there, you can find our <clears throat> our webpage. It's called Swift after Jonathan Swift, the famous satirist from the UK, as we know, mm-hmm. and um, inventor of Gulliver's Travels and uh, various other aspects of uh, human chicanery. But in any, in any case, uh, we uh, we we do uh, a couple of conventions every year. We're doing one in the UK in the in the coming year, and we haven't uh, decided on all the details of that yet. But uh, it's going to be certainly in the proximity of the city of London, and uh, looking forward to that. We we do one every year in Las Vegas uh, because it's a very easy place to gather people. And the last uh, conference we had there had 940 people in attendance, and we're hoping. To certainly beat a thousand this uh, next time.
2: Yeah, that's good. I mean, there's definitely been a rise in, uh, in critical thinking, I think, in the last few years. So obviously, that's also counterbalanced by a rise in uh, quackery, as always. Mm-hmm. But um, why do you think this is? Do you think it's because of writers like Dawkins and uh, the, oh, of, yes. uh, oh,
6: well, Richard Dawkins? My, he's
2: a formidable force,
6: and uh, uh, I, I consider him to be a good friend of mine. I'm proud to know him, and uh, we're. Uh, we're approaching Dawkins for the next amazing meeting, as we call them, uh, conference, as matter of fact. Uh, we'll be doing that in the next few days, and I hope he, he might see fit to attend.
2: Yeah, and uh, but do you think, uh, why is it that all of a sudden things like uh, atheism, atheism rather, um, have suddenly come out? Because um, they were kind of a, a hush-hush subject, really, weren't they, before? Now they seem to be far more... Um... Acceptable to write about, I guess, for use of better time. I believe so. The, the people uh, like uh, Sam Harris, for example, and uh,
6: and uh, Dawkins, of course, uh, uh, and, and Christopher Hitchens, uh, mm. who, uh, a good friend of mine, um, uh, they have written definitive books about it. and They're very, very uh, informative books and entertaining at the same time. Mm. Uh, that's the skill. And Dawkins is a wonderful writer. Very precise, and you can follow up on everything he says, and you'll find that uh, it checks out. He's a, he's a wonderful writer and a great battler in the uh, in the, this war against uh, idiocy and ignorance and whatnot.
2: Well, excellent. Before we go, uh, I was going to ask you to give our listeners uh, one take-home message, as they say. Uh, if you know, if you could leave one message with people, what would it be? Thank. you
6: and think uh, rationally. Uh, don't be afraid to use that hunk of grey jelly behind your ears. It's called a brain, and it doesn't hurt to use it. It may be um, a little distressing at first, but learn about these things from people who really know what they're talking about and not people who are making money at your expense and uh, leading you down the garden path, so to speak. There are authors out there, there are television hosts out there who are responsible and who will give you correct information. Of course, finding the correct one, that's the skill that you'll have to employ. Mm-hmm. But uh, I certainly re- refer all of uh, your listeners to any of my books. They're available, and uh, I believe they have uh, good information in them, and I will stand by any of the information that's there, and I will take challenges on it. So um, think That's the bottom line.
2: Oh, thanks a lot james it's uh, i'm a big fan it's really nice of you to give us some of your time well
6: it's been a great pleasure and thank you so much for your courtesy
2: okay thanks a lot
6: Right, <laughs> right bye-bye for now
2: bye-bye airy radio opening the door to the unknown listener feedback really looking forward to the new episodes so keep up with your work guys thanks interviews
6: there's so many movies so many documentaries even books that come out that have factual information in it that maybe you know this is a sort of gradual way of kind of educating the public as to of
4: what's going on visit eerie radio at www.eerieradio.com
0: I've got some information I'd like to share with you. Did you know that 26 billion pickles are packed each year in the U.S.? That's about nine pounds of pickles per person. More than half the cucumbers grown in the U.S. are made into pickles. Hey, pickle boy. Let's talk pickles. The Podcast Pickle, that is. The Podcast Pickle is your resource for all the latest and greatest podcasts found in cyberspace. With thousands of podcasts listed and more added every day. Here's some of the podcasts that you'll find at PodcastPickle.com. Geek-Fu Action Group. BeachCast. Geek-Speak. Speechless. Mad-K. This Week in Tech, Warren Town Talk, NASCAR Zone, Shelly the Republican, A Voice from Eden, Jimmy McBean, Five Minutes with Wichita, Cinema Playground, Offbeat, The Logo Factory, Warriors, Exit 50, this, this and That with Jeff and Pat, Thoughts on Psychiatry, Web Hosting Show, Merlin from Berlin, Random Cast, Jazz with Tiger, American Road Trip Show, The Drew M. Podcast, The Slam Ida Podcast, Forgotten Tales, the Zencast, XboxStation.net, How to Do Stuff. now pickle has a whole new meaning PodcastPickle.com, the world's best podcast directory
2: okay uh, that was episode 16 of right where you're sitting now um If you want to get in contact with me you can uh, email me at ken at sittingnow.co.uk. you can add me on skype if you want to talk to me uh, which is uh, sitting now again surprisingly i think sitting space now or just try sitting now and it will come up as ken in some way or other um yeah so pretty exciting news with the stuff with raymond like we said we're going to try and get the site up in kind of november um probably late november early december sort of time uh the music you heard earlier was uh uh, and the track called Hello Severa which is a, a really cool track and we reviewed their album on the site so if you want to check them out um, yeah, there's a, if you look in the, mu- the music review section you'll find uh, the Kyle Lesser album review so uh, we'll see you next week we've got Austin Gandhi, who we talked about briefly earlier on he's the um, one of the three pillars <laughs> guest pillars I guess of uh, Out There Radio and uh, yeah we're really uh, excited to, uh, to finally get him on the show so, yeah, if you want to uh, contact me, uh, you know, check, check me out on the things I mentioned earlier, UK or Skype sitting now, or you can add me on MSM Messenger. Um, <laughs> I've got the most embarrassing email address on that, but it's evildeadgenius at hotmail.com. That's evildeadgenius at hotmail.com. And uh, yeah, we're going to play a quick promo for uh, another show, um, which is kind of an audio drama called Geek by Night. It's uh, nearing its end of its first season. We're actually going to have Scott on, who writes for us sometimes. He's done the comic review and he's on our first ever episode. We're going to actually have him on again to discuss uh, Geek by Night and how it went in more detail uh, in a later episode. Um, But yeah, check out the promo and we'll see you next week.
4: talking about it's eight thirty in the morning what what do you mean we haven't even opened yet gib the real question is what are you doing here so early i i don't know i feel like i haven't seen you in a week gibson i was here two days ago right uh... well i picked up a new cash register yesterday i haven't opened it up yet but i thought we could do it this morning yeah sure what's with you today are are you all right Oh yeah, everything's great. I just feel particularly tiny, wimey today. Yeah, well, nothing a good shower wouldn't carry, you know? Gibson, you've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Ha <laughs> ha, that's funny. You're a real kidder, Simon. Gibson,
3: you know I'm an insufferable nerd with no sense of humor. I never joke around. Great Scott, you're right! Don't you remember? I invented a time machine last night and we had this whole adventure where we saved you from non-existence. We changed history. But it wasn't enough. We have to go back to the future.
4: No wonder you felt all weird today.
3: You and Simon had a date. We don't have time for
4: this. Go on, quick, get in the car. Is this a DeLorean outside? No, no, no. Look, Simon, I just got here. Elliot's here. We're gonna take the new register for a spin. We'll bring him along. This concerns him, too. Oh, wait a minute, Doc. What happens to us in the future? Do we become big buttheads or
3: something? Oh, no, no, no. You and Elliot both turn out fine. It's your kids, Gibson. Something's got to be done about your kids. Whose kids? Yours and Elliot's. What?
1: Ah!
4: <laughs> what the hell? There, there, now. Just, just relax. Elliot? Is that you? You've been asleep for almost nine hours now. You all right? You gave us quite a scare. Oh man, I just had the worst movie reference dream of my life. Simon took me back in time and wait, us? Well, you're safe and sound now, back with me and the kids in good old 2015. 2015? <laughs> uh, finally, it's about time you woke up, Mindy. Oh, Mindy, I am so glad to see you. R- really? Oh God, yes, more than anything. What day is it today? Tuesday, you freak. Oh, thank God. I thought I was trapped in some horrible alternate reality where me and Elliot... uh, Um...
0: Where you and Elliot...
4: what? Ah, never mind. Wait, so what are you doing here? Elliot couldn't get you to wake up this morning, so he sent me over to do it since I have more experience in the matter. Plus he paid me twenty bucks. Oh, well, fair enough. Where's Elliot? Elliot? He's already at the shop watching the kids. The kids? Ah! Wait, where are you going? Hey, Elliot, I'm in here. Oh, hey, where's Gibson? He just freaked out, screamed like a little girl, and ran into the bathroom. What? Don't ask me, he's your friend. I'm just his sister. Well, whatever, just just get him out of there and get him to the shop. Me and Gwen need all the help we can get. Beginning to second-guess letting that after-school program have their weekly movie night at the shop? Well, it wouldn't be so bad if they would just sit still and watch the movie, you know? But they act like if they don't touch everything in the freaking store, their hands will just melt off their arms. Ugh, I never want kids. Oh, I, I want some eventually. I mean, me and Gip talk about having them all the time. Together? What? No, no. That would be ridiculous.
3: The proceeding was a promo for the podcast series, Geek by Night. Geek by Night is an audio podcast series created and produced by Scott Corelli. It returns September 23rd on GeekShow.us, or you can subscribe to the show through iTunes. If you are a website or business and would like to sponsor the show, or another podcast willing to swap promos, please contact us, GeekByNight at GeekShow.us. Movie Reference Nightmare, written by Ben Noblet and Scott Corelli. It starred Kevin Ziegler, Chris O'Connor, Andrew Ball, and Kliss. With great power comes irresponsibility. GeekShow.us proudly presents Geek by Night, returning September 23rd on a podcatcher near you.